um, why I invited him is for lots of reasons, but for one of them is I've actually heard this talk that he gave at our general conference to a bunch of pastors to help them understand some values of the Free Methodist Church. One of them is Love Driven Justice. So I'm just going to let Ed also introduce himself yep. and take it away. Ed, seriously, thanks for being no, here. No, very, very glad to be here. So uh, my name is Ed. I teach at Westmont. I teach in the philosophy department at, West so uh, at Westmont. I do moral and political philosophy. I also teach a little bit in political science. Um, so I think about today's topic in a variety of different ways, from different angles and perspectives, like a little bit. So um, it's good to be able to talk to our church about this. And the timing of this particular talk is, um, well, I don't know if it's providential or just good planning. I mean, probably it's good planning with, with Nikki. But um, I mean, just this whole series and thinking about God's kingdom, what that means. Nikki kicked things off last time with a great explanation for just the idea of what kingdom talk means that we find in the Bible. Um, additionally, I'll say this particular talk in the ideas of justice or justice and righteousness Pastor Scott, Scott Williams, preached a humdinger of a sermon. Was that two weeks ago? So I commend that, I commend that to you all. Um, yeah, your time might be better spent actually going back and listening to Pastor Scott's sermon, um, but, uh, which was really great. And then additionally, I'll say, uh, as Nikki mentioned, I actually gave this talk or like a version of this talk or a piece of this talk to the Free Methodist General Conference this past summer. So the Free Methodist denomination um, gets together every four years for the big gen general conference where we get together to do business, to pass resolutions related to our Book of Discipline, which is our big book of theology and polity of, of our denomination and to, to get equipped for ministry. And a big part of what the bishops of our church wanted to do, they had, they, they, over the last four years, the bishops of the Free Methodist Church have tried to re-articulate what it means to be Free Methodist. I mean, this is a time of great division in our country, obviously. And they wanted to really refine and help communicate what it is to be a Free Methodist. So... They came up with something called the Free Methodist Way, which are a series of five values that we understand what it is to be defended, to what it is to be Free Methodist. Now, I don't know if I can do the five values. I should be able to. But they are uh, God-breathed revelation, love-driven justice, cross-cultural communication, life-giving holiness, Well, that is God that is God-given revelation. That's awful. God-given revelation, life-giving holiness. Oh, oh, uh, Christ-driven multiplication. Christ-driven. I should have just yeah. thought through the speakers at this yeah. thing. Um, <laughs> so they spent a big portion of general conference working through these values, having uh, laypersons and pastors in these big sessions. I helped lead one of these sessions, and so this is derivative from that. But again, one of our five values is something called love-driven justice. And so I want to talk about that today, what it means to be committed to love-driven justice. And now justice, justice, 
is a very controversial word these days. It's a controversial word in American culture, in American politics, in American society, and maybe it's especially a controversial word in the American church. So I want to talk about that a little bit. Maybe part of the reason why it's controversial is probably because we don't do a very good job of defining what we mean when we say justice. And so part of what we'll be doing is defining what we mean by justice, seeing what scripture has to say about these words, justice and righteousness, as we find in scripture. And then I'll just say as a way of framing all of this, hopefully by the end of this little talk, we will see actually that justice talk gets to, gets to something deep that we find in the narrative of scripture. And I would actually go so far as to say, and again, we'll talk about what justice is in the Bible, that if you had to reduce the whole narrative of scripture from Genesis to Revelation, you could do far worse than picking the word justice to summarize the whole narrative of scripture. Okay. So I started talking about how justice talk is controversial, and we find skepticism about justice talk all over the place. Here is one uh, quote from the pundit Glenn Beck. This is, uh, it's, this is maybe more like five or six years old. This was when Glenn Beck was still had a syndicated radio show. But Beck wrote this. I beg you, look for the words social justice or economic justice on your church website. If you find it, run as fast as you can. Am I advising people to leave their church? Yes! Leave your church. If you have a priest that is pushing social justice, go find another parish. Go alert your bishop and tell them, excuse me, are you down with this whole social justice thing? I don't care what the church is. If it's my church, I'm alerting the church authorities. Excuse me, what's this social justice thing? And if they say, yeah, we're all in that social justice thing, I'm in the wrong place. Now again, I, I, I don't actually mean to be specifically critical of Beck, but I think this is just like a good illustration of what skepticism about justice talk or social justice talk looks like. And again, I think a lot of this turns on the fact that we use this language without clearly defining what we mean. And that's kind of the point of all of this. But I have to say, I was looking at our church website, and I saw this. <gasps> now, well, here's that value that we were just talking about. Note it, does, it says love-driven justice, which is the language that the Free Methodist Church uses. Church uses. It doesn't say social justice, but I will tell you that this page used to say social justice. But anyways, so we apparently are in one of these churches. Um, How do you change it from social justice? Well, yeah, is that is that good enough? What do we mean? What's problematic about the language of social justice? Socialism and secularism and syncretism. Yeah, so maybe maybe we mean those things. So again, part of the point about what we're trying to do today. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, a club on whom, would you say? Anyone that may think differently. Okay. It sort of narrows the ideology. Okay. Think differently about what? About social issues. About social issues. About social, social systems. systems. 
about conservative thought about the nature of justice. Okay. Just conservative thought? I think. A lot of different thoughts. Yeah, I would say it's it's thoughts both critical and uh, hopeful about social systems. Okay. Mm -hmm. Social justice language is certainly language that we associate with progressive political perspectives on things. I think that's fair to say. Um, Maybe that's a shame, again, because as we'll see uh, as we work through the occurrence of that word and its cognates or related words in Scripture, we see that those occur not only with great frequency, right? Justice talk appears not only with great frequency as we walk through Scripture, but it's used to describe climactic parts of the, of the biblical story. And so hopefully we'll see that the language of justice gets at some of the deepest, most central themes that we find in the Bible. Okay. So just as one example of one place that we find justice language, consider this passage from Genesis chapter 18, verse 19. This is, comes, right, comes from the scene right before Abraham pleads with God over the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, and right after God has come to Abram and has called him to be the father to God's people. Uh, And also right after Sarah is told that she and Abraham will have a son. But here we see God discussing his rationale for selecting Abraham, right? So this incredibly climactic time in the the biblical narrative in which God has created uh, all of creation and humanity in his image, this perfect setting for human beings to live and flourish in communion with each other and with God, Then it gets broken by sin. God exercises symbolic justice on uh, symbolic judgment on the whole of his his creation in the flood. And now he has found this one man, Abraham, to be his vanguard, as it were, for reclaiming, restoring all of his creation. Abraham will give birth to a nation who will be God's people. And he is summarizing why he has chosen Abraham. And so what does he say? I have chosen him so that he will direct his household and his children after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Right. So why has God chosen Abraham? He has chosen Abraham in order to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, So there we see these two words, righteousness and justice, used here. And what we find throughout the Old Testament is this very frequent recurrence, well, first of all, of justice talk and righteousness talk, but then often, very, very often together. And so these two words are significant as we find them throughout the Old Testament. Again, not just the frequency in which they occur in like number, quantity, but also quality, right? They incur in in very prominent places. Here they are again, in uh, where God is explaining his rationale for choosing Abraham. And then as we, we could walk through the Old Testament, and we will find scores of this phrase, specifically this phrase talking about justice and righteousness. So here are just a, a few examples. Psalm 33, 
the Lord loves. What? Righteousness and justice. Psalm 89, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Proverbs, to do righteousness and justice is desired by the Lord more than sacrifice. And then maybe most famously, this beautiful passage from Amos, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Okay, so there are just a few examples of the frequency of justice and righteousness talk paired together that we find in the Old Testament, and there are like scores of them all over the place. Prominent, again, in quantity and also quality, not just the sheer number, but like where they occur, what they're describing. Now, these two, the Hebrew word that is usually translated as the English word justice is mishpat. And the Hebrew word that is usually translated as righteousness is tzedakah. Now, righteousness is like a pretty old-fashioned word and almost always is used in pejorative ways, right? If you come across the English word righteousness these days, it is almost always preceded by self, right? Um, Unless... You know, sometimes, well, people don't even talk this way, but they're like, righteous, righteous man. Um, People don't even do that anymore. So, you know, the English word righteousness isn't a common word these days. It's almost always used in pejorative ways. It can also be translated as straight or the proper measure of something, or we might say doing right. And the pairing of mishpat and tzedakah, justice and righteousness, is a very common literary device in Hebrew where you'll often get uh, two words that are paired together. Um, And in that pairing together, they kind of amplify the meaning of those two words so that the two together are kind of greater than the sum of their parts. Mishpat by itself is often used in legal context. It's like a legal word to refer to the judgments of a judge uh, adjudicating over a conflict between people. So it's also sometimes translated as like judgment. Could be fairness. Sometimes fairness, often referring to to the fair judgment of of a judge. But it's also really clear that its meaning can be far more expansive, especially when it's paired with its friend Sadeka. So justice is about the way that things ought to be, right? And we obviously live in a world in which it's abundantly clear to everybody that things ain't the way that they're supposed to be. So we yearn for justice. When Amos says, let justice roll down like waters, He isn't just saying, let the judges rule impartially, right? He's saying something more than that. He's effectively saying, Lord, come heal our land. Come back, fix things. We are are swimming in such brokenness. Lord, please come back and redeem us. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's great, and so, and it's and it's refer and all of that together is referring to like this whole picture of like wholeness, 
and healing. So in some ways, when we see justice and righteousness together, maybe a good translation or what you should hear in your head is something like true justice or correct justice, the way that things are supposed to be, the healing of the land, the reordering of, of society and our social systems. Now, there, so there are two related features of justice talk or justice and righteousness talk in the Old Testament that I think are particularly noteworthy. So again, justice talk all over the Bible, quantity, in really prominent places, quality, often paired with righteousness. And then we see this in particular in two noteworthy places. One is the frequency with which justice and righteousness talk is connected to the treatment of what the Christian philosopher Nicholas Wolterstorff calls the quartet of the vulnerable. So scripture often talks about the welfare of the poor and vulnerable. Um, and so here are a few ver uh, verses talking about the, the most vulnerable in society. Deuteronomy, in the law. Cursed be anyone who deprives who? The immigrant, the orphan, and the widow of justice. Isaiah, which we've been working through for some time now. Seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. Again, in Isaiah, I guess this is coming, right? Uh, is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the, of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? So here we see... What does the quartet... Okay. Are yeah. There, are there four? Yes. So four? frequently we find in the Old Testament, the Old Testament specifically referring to the plight and the welfare of the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. And so that becomes a little bit of a shorthand for the most vulnerable within a society. Right? So it literally means the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. But obviously, more generally, those who are most vulnerable within a society. And like things haven't changed so much, right? right? So if we think about, well, who are the most vulnerable in our, in our society? And again, we come back to the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. But we find this constant concern and worry about the most vulnerable in society throughout the Old Testament, and it is enshrined in a variety of different places. You know, so for one thing, God, today's, the, the passage that Colleen was preaching on in church today had to do with idolatry. God obviously gets upset about idolatry. We find frequent judgment about idolatry throughout the Old Testament. But equally, when you look at the Old Testament as a whole, like God never gets angrier when, than when he is pronouncing judgment on those who perpetuate injustice, those who do not seek or serve the welfare of the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. We find that frequently throughout the whole of, of the Old, Old Testament. 
you know, for example, we think of Sodom and Gomorrah as, as being these famous objects of God's destructive judgment on sinfulness. Obviously, when I say Sodom and Gomorrah, we specifically think of the idolatry and sexual sin that we associate with Sodom and Gomorrah. But when God actually talks about his judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, he talks about their injustice against the neediest and most vulnerable within a society. Equally, when you look at the, when you look at the law, there are, are provisions that provide for the welfare of the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. Right? One of them has to do with gleaning laws. That when you harvest your fields, you are always to leave the corners unpicked and not to go through the whole field and pick out every last thing. Right? Why? Because after you do the harvest, it is a legal provision of the law of Israel that the poor and the needy get to go through your field and pick for their provisions. There are provisions in which the temple will collect a tax uh, on your grain and other food that can be used to provide for the poor and the needy. There are judgments on uh, unfair loan practices. And then maybe most prominently, there's the Jubilee year, right? In the 49th year, all land, all land returns back to its original, to its original owners. Loans are forgiven. Servants are set free. So again, just to reiterate this point, one of the themes that we find about justice talk in the Old Testament is that it goes to this frequent concern for the most vulnerable in society, the quartet of the, the, quartet of the vulnerable, though the orphan the widow, thank you, the immigrant and the poor. So we find that throughout, throughout scripture and the language of justice and righteousness are often used to refer to it, to describe it. And now similarly, if we turn our attention to the New Testament, we find this interest in justice and righteousness as a prominent feature that we find there. So consider this verse, sorry, still in the Old Testament, but now speak, speaking about the Old Testament expectation of the coming Messiah. Who is the Messiah that will come and rescue Israel? Uh, Isaiah 11 here. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy, with justice he will get to give decisions for the poor of the earth. So here we find in Isaiah this prophetic description offering hope to the people who are living in exile. About God has not forgotten you. He will send a Messiah. He will send a leader. He will send a new king in the lineage of David. And how will we know him? He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge who? The needy. With justice, he will get to give decisions for whom? The poor of the earth. Isaiah 42. We just looked at this a few, a few weeks ago. Again, messianic prophecy in Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I uphold. I have put my spirit upon him. What will he do? He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will faithfully bring forth justice. 
he will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice on the earth. So again, how will we know who the Messiah is? He's the one who's going to bring justice. Isaiah 61. I'm sure we'll come to this in a couple weeks. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. For I, the Lord, love what? I love justice. Incredibly powerful verse. And so I hope it doesn't seem like I am proof texting by pulling this range of quotes from scripture. The point here is just to see how prominent and central justice talk is. It's not some small idea that we find tucked off to the side in the Old Testament. Again, frequency, quantity, and quality. Justice, go back to the the passages that we started with earlier. Justice and righteousness are the foundation of God's throne. That's what the psalm said. Right? The foundation of God's throne is justice and righteousness. That's not like one among many things that God does. It's the foundation of God's rule. Justice and righteousness are the, are the hallmarks of the coming Messiah. Right? And justice talk is about God bringing the fallen creation to rights. That's a nice phrase that the New Testament scholar N.T. Wright, Tom Wright uses. It's, it's this little like Anglicism or English uh, about bringing the world to rights. And if you think about like the other kinds of passages that we find in Isaiah talking about the coming of the Messiah and the renewal of creation, like consider, for example, Isaiah 11, 11, right? What we often find in Isaiah, all this really rich creational talk about the renewal of creation. Um, The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The infant will play near the cobra's den. They will neither harm nor destroy on God's holy mountain. So we see the whole creation is rejuvenated. So justice is about the promise of the Messiah coming and healing the land, bringing justice and peace, especially to those who are most forgotten and disenfranchised. And so again, justice talk isn't some like little secondary theme that we find in the Bible, but it, it gets to the heart of God's saving plan for Israel and the whole of his creation. And now this theme, of course, continues in the New Testament. As we see this Messiah who was prophesied in the Old Testament, we see Jesus come and do the things that God says the Messiah will do in the Old Testament. Right? And there are almost too many instances to name. Right? Who is Jesus? Well, he is the son of David. He is in the royal lineage. But he is born the humble son of a carpenter under the most humble and poor of circumstances. Jesus blesses the poor and the hungry. He spends virtually all of his time with the destitute, the denied, and the downtrodden. He pronounces chilling judgment on those who forget the needs of the poor. And then there are two further things that I want to highlight about Jesus in particular. The first has to do with John the Baptist. In Luke's gospel, John has been thrown into prison by Herod. His John's disciples 
report about the things that Jesus is doing, right? So John is in prison, and he's like, hey, what's going on with this Jesus guy? And John's disciples say, you know, keep him up to date, up to, up to date on these things. And John seems to be confused. Of course, like, he knows that Jesus is to be the Messiah, but maybe he's uncertain or he has doubts. So he send, John sends his disciples to Jesus to ask him. And so now this is Luke 7. The disciples say on behalf of John, Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? I mean, this is so powerful and poignant in so many ways. Here is John. He is sitting in prison. You know, he has baptized Jesus. He knows Jesus. But maybe he's experiencing doubts or worries in some way. Um, and, he, and he knows that his end is near. So there's almost a certain kind of desperation in these questions. Are you the one who is to come, or are we to wait for another? Now, this is what Jesus says to this, the disciples. You, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news brought to them, right? So what does Jesus say to reassure John the Baptist? He's saying, look what's happening. Justice is happening. The lost, the least, and the lonely are not forgotten. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. The poor have good news brought to them. Right, so Jesus himself in trying to describe the hallmarks of his vocation as the Messiah, talks about justice and righteousness being done. And then, of course, maybe... Um, oh, I want, I want to emphasize this. This is such a telling answer. Like, Jesus could have... When you think about Jesus' miracles, the miracles that Jesus could have performed, as he does them as evidence of his power and de- divine cre- credentials. Like, he could have vindicated his divine authority by, through, like, acts of power, right? Like, he could have been, like, Gandalf in the first <laughs> Fellowship of the Rings books where he's in Hobbiton and he does, like, these crazy fireworks, right? Like, dragons flying. Like, Jesus could have done that. He's like, hey, you want to know who I am? Acts of power. Fireworks. Dragons. Defeat armies. Drive the Romans out. Like, he could have done those things. Right? But he doesn't. He comes as the son of a humble carpenter. And he works with the forgotten and the marginalized. Right? The signs of his messiahship isn't just the power. It's not the power that's displayed by the miracles. But it is to whom they are directed. Right? He vindicates his messianic authority to John by restoring outcasts to the destitute and the downtrodden. Right? Um, so what vindicates his authority is the justice that he brings. And then that maybe most prominently, consider earlier in Luke. So this is, the begin- this is the scene in Luke 4 in which Jesus is beginning his ministry, right? So prior to that point, we get the story of baby Jesus and, and the Christmas narrative and all of that. But now, Luke 4, we see the beginning of Jesus' official ministry in which he goes to his temple in Nazareth. 
He walks up to the front of the temple, he re- and he reads the appointed reading of the day. And so he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Right. So in other words, he reads that beautiful passage that we just looked at from Isaiah. And he says, this is who I am, right? Not through acts of power, but by proclaiming that the Messiah has come and you will know it because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, right? So again, the hallmarks of Jesus' of Jesus's messianic authority is the fact that he is bringing justice, the justice promised in the Old Testament, he's bringing it to fulfillment. And early on you said the, that some of the issues may be that we haven't defined justice very well. I, I understand that these are evidence of justice, but do they then give provide that definition? Yes. So, so what is justice? Justice and righteousness. True ju- so what is justice? It is true justice. It is the bringing of wholeness and healing to the broken creation, right? So when we look at the whole narrative of Scripture, we see God creating everything out of nothing. I mean, actually, technically speaking, it's not nothing because there's a primordial watery mass that he forms but God creates everything almost out of nothing and he he fashions this world and the crowning achievement of his creative activity is the creation of Adam and Eve people who are made in his image and he creates this perfect place for them to steward and care for right they are to exercise rule over this place that was made just for them to to creatively order it And then immediately what happens? They sin. This perfect created order is broken. And what does God do? Like, God could have thrown it in the trash. He would have been entirely within his rights. Like, I don't know if you've ever been working on some precious project and um, something goes wrong and then you get really frustrated and maybe just throw it in the bin. Um, God could have done that perfectly justified and be like, ah, I knew that was a mistake. I'm going to throw it in the trash and I'm going, to, I'm going to go start again on the other side of Saturn, right? He could have done that. Would have been perfectly just. But he doesn't, right? What does he do? He exercises symbolic judgment on the whole of his creation in the flood. And then he begins this very slow, long process of redeeming and restoring that broken creation. He finds one righteous man, Abraham. And Abraham begets a nation, And God will dwell with that nation. He will dwell with them. He will give them his law. And Israel is to be what? A nation of priests. That is to say that Israel's vocation is to mediate between a holy, perfect God and an imperfect and fallen world. And call that imperfect, fallen world back into relationship with God the Creator. That's Israel's vocation. But Israel, as being a part of that fallen creation, obviously fails. And, but they succeed in that through Israel, God provides a Messiah 
for Israel and for the world. God himself comes to redeem the whole of his creation, right? And so now, through Jesus' life and death and resurrection, he makes possible the redemption of the whole of creation. So that his people, the followers of this Jesus Christ, can participate in Israel's historic vocation. We are a nation of priests, right? That is to say, we mediate between a perfect holy God and a broken world, and we call that broken world back into relationship with this holy God. Now, how? By being the agents of God's reconciling, redemptive work, by bringing justice to the most broken places of the world. So that's what justice is. It refers to our divine vocation as the people of God of being his agents of redemptive change to the most broken parts of the world. That's what justice is. So justice talk, again, is controversial for a whole lot of reasons, a lot of good reasons even. But we shouldn't allow that controversy to blind us to our historic vocation, right? It is an essential part of being a follower of Jesus Christ that we are concerned with the brokenness of the world. That we are concerned with the lost, the least, and the lonely. That's not like some optional thing that that, that work is done for, oh, special Christians. Like, I don't do that. We leave that for special Christians. I mean, obviously, everybody has their own gifts and talents. But it is a fundamental feature of our vocation as Christians. What are the two great commandments? Love the Lord God, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Amen, 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 right? But there is not one commandment. There are two commandments. Uh, Some Christians seem to have trouble counting higher than the number one, right? (laughs) Two commandments. The second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And who is our neighbor? It like... It's not just your family and and your friends at church or in your neighborhood who you like because they're so cool and fun, right? No, our neighbor are the people who are left out and marginalized and forgotten, the least, the lost, the lonely, the disadvantaged. So I think the question that I want to leave us for today is who is left out and excluded in our communities, in our country, and in our world? And this is a question that all of us as individual followers of Jesus Christ, as a local community of Christians in the town of Santa Barbara, as members of a national and international denomination that makes love-driven justice one of its core values. This is a question that we have to ask ourselves. Okay, thanks. So, a little little time for questions. And if you have to go, feel free to go, but I think we'll do like 10 minutes of questions. Yeah. 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 Uh, I guess it's not uh, too surprising that that many uh, churches or organizations ignore the justice part of this. Because it's inconvenient. Well, it's inconvenient and it doesn't support their selfish well being. What churches are they? Many. (laughs) I would say probably most. Probably at least half. You know, right? Yeah. So I mean, I I don't know that it would be edifying for us to like 
pull out the yellow pages and be like, you know, because in every church, I mean, it's probably the case that every church is doing something. Um, but, you know, and then maybe we shouldn't concern ourselves with every church. Like, we should concern ourselves with our church. And we're doing a lot at this church. And it may be even more than that, though. Like, we can ask ourselves. What else can we do? Yeah. And what else can we as individuals do? Yeah, that's exactly right. And not on, on a given day of service or a given event that's organized, mm-hmm. but every day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Every, most likely, all of us will have some opportunity. With, and I'm not even speaking about the homeless population, but yeah. some opportunity to reach out to someone yeah. today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Will we take it? Maybe, maybe not. It's uncomfortable. It's it's inconvenient. It may take time out of our day. Mm-hmm. Gosh, it might mean that we have to listen to somebody who's got a hard story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we're a chosen holy priesthood called to proclaim his praises. But we wouldn't want to compromise in the holiness, I don't think. I mean, that's what justice, you couldn't really have justice without holiness. Yeah, that's right. I see a ton of unwisdom and untruth, and you want wisdom and truth, otherwise mm-hmm. how can it be just? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so we need to wrestle with all of that. And, and, and Wesley is really good about this. Uh, Wesley talks about individual holiness, really, really important. But also social holiness. Yeah. And it's like we got to have... That's a really nice... That's Wesley's way, I think, of capturing the force of these two commandments. And so, 100%, individual holiness, and then also exercising wisdom and judgment and discernment in a lot of things. That's for sure. Um, but... I think that... And so we need to do all of that. Maybe the bigger, broader question is, like, are we being... Um, and it's maybe even less about, like, oh, well, you know, we're doing these four things, and, like, well, we could add this fifth thing or this sixth thing. Like, sure, like, all of, all of that's great and really, really important, but, like, what is it to be a people, a justice people? Um, what is it to, pe- to be a people whose fundamental attitude towards the world is that we are constantly look, looking for the people who are broken and left out and trying to bring the gospel into those broken places. Again, like as individual people, walking down the street, going to lunch after church, um, we think about our time and our money, our volunteer hours as a church with programs. Yeah, and to not let... Um, society or our political leanings or parties dictate who's left out and excluded because, right, you know, like the left would say certain people are left out and excluded, obviously, and they shouldn't be. Right, the right would say certain people are left out and excluded, and obviously they shouldn't be. And I think, like, also in the Bible, over and over again, it's saying, like, the Messiah, the King, will rule and reign with justice and righteousness. Mm-hmm. So as we talk about the kingdom of God, Jesus the King is ruling with justice and righteousness. And so we, as God's people, get to explore together, yeah, who is left out and excluded, mm-hmm. um, and let the Spirit, like, enrich us and show us and reveal that to us. And let us be less shaped by, like, the loud voices in media or political mm-hmm. parties or whatever, mm-hmm. shape, shape those answers. Mm-hmm. Or does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we are kingdom people. We are kingdom citizens. We are 
global citizens and so let's stop like I don't know. Let's actually be shaped by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so if we are to be a people who bring the justice of God to the world, how do we, how do we make ourselves that kind of people? What do we right. do to form ourselves? What are the things that are malforming us? Right, right. Uh, what are the narratives that we listen to, the practices that we engage in? Um, what would it be to, what are the alternative Practices that will form us to be a justice people. Yeah. So, oftentimes I step aside um, and say, Jamie, what would Jesus' eyes? What would Jesus's eyes see? Mm-hmm. Mm. Because then the focus not the, does not become a group or an identity mm. that some other mm. society or political group has put on anybody. But what would Jesus? see and take those labels away mm-hmm. and try to see it from mm-hmm. his perspective mm-hmm. that helps me mm-hmm. yeah so, uh, I have uh, Christian friends who make a distinction about justice and social justice because that's not biblical yeah can you yes I that? mean I don't know what to say about that I mean the kind of justice that we find in the Bible is social like it's social right it's obviously social and maybe even further, just define for us what social is. Yeah, but yeah, and then this is kind of the second thing. But like when people hear the phrase social justice in 2023 in the United States, it kind of has progressive political connotations. So like I'm perfectly happy to talk about social justice because the justice that we're talking about here is social. But, but it's not just those associations that we have with liberal liberal political thought, progressive political thought, let's, let's call it. Uh, again, it's this. It's this vision that God has for the redemption of the whole of creation. And all of us get the privilege of partic- participating in that. Like, that's what justice is. So social justice, what I hear some people intimating is that you're taking something away from me and giving it to someone else. And that's, a, that's, not, that's not fair. Mm-hmm. I don't want to lose something. You can have more, but you can't take away mine. Mm-hmm. Um, can you parse that a little bit? Or... Yeah. I'm, so, you know, I teach political theory um, and economics. And I'm super interested in those things. That gets to... Yeah, I'm super interested in those things. Th- those can be complicated questions of political theory, of economics, of public policy. And, like, like we could talk about all of that stuff. That would maybe be like, okay, well, how do we accomplish justice? Uh, justice, justice is social. Justice is political. It, it might not, it's not just political, but it touches on the political. And so we could ask ourselves, oh, you know, what kind of political structures do we need? Would like help us achieve justice? Maybe conservatives are right. And it's small government and the free market. Maybe progressives are right, and we need certain things to like uh, direct or constrain the market. Um, and so, like, we, we can talk about all of that stuff. But biblical justice is God's desire to bring the world to rights. Maybe that's a nice way of summarizing it in the tidiest form, right? That phrase from from Tom Wright. For some people. That's going to mean 
Oh, let me let me just let me finish this thought, and then um, we'll, we'll get to this question. This other thing in uh, that Tom Wright talks about, he gives this really nice image of the vocation of any individual Christian. Well, well, what were Adam and Eve? They were gardeners, right? They were stewards of of creation. And he gives Wright gives this nice metaphor of like thinking of ourselves as gardeners. To be a Christian is to participate in this historic vocation of being gardeners of creation. When Adam and Eve were gardeners, they were able to work the soft, dark, loamy, rich soil of Eden, right? And you could just plant, stick stuff in the ground and it would be beautiful and grow. Uh, Living in Santa Barbara... It um, makes this image particularly evocative because I don't know about you, but our backyard ain't filled with soft, black, rich, loamy soil, right? It is, it is, it is hard and rocky. There are gophers. There are weeds everywhere, right? Um, but we are still gardeners, and so the question that we can ask ourselves is, well, like, what little plot of creation has God put me in? Right? Given, given my physical location, I live in Santa Barbara, California. Uh, given my profession, I work in higher education, or I work in business and banking or real estate, or I work at the hospital or whatever. And we just ask ourselves, where are the thorns and thick thistles of the fall the thickest? Right? We look around like the little plot of land that is our responsibility. Uh, right? There's nobody quite like you, right? In this particular time and place, with those particular interests and abilities, concerns, desires, nobody quite like you. So that stuff, that's your little plot. And you just look around. Right? Where are the thorns and thistles of the fall the thickest? And we pull them. Um, and then maybe after we weed it, we're in a position to compost it, fertilize it, plant something in its place, right? Something beautiful that will sustain our common life together and point people back to the one true creator, God, who made it all and who loves us and wants to redeem it. Oh, and I can't remember where I got to that. But that's, that's the justice vocation, right? Um, to be vehicles of God's redemptive work in the world. And this yeah. will probably be our last one. Yeah, okay. Great. I was just going to everybody's comments, Sarah and Nikki, and Russell's question, and remarks by everybody. I'm thinking, you know, I'm on the missions committee, so mm. I just go there. So <clears> when we think about foreign missions, we think of, you know, there's going to be social things that are part of, you know, ministering and worshiping and growing and people, and you want to replace yourself, I guess, with a missionary and get nationals. So you've done a good work. Well, now, how about in our own country? Our own culture seeing the left out and ex- how to include people instead of seeing them as what you know you aren't financially productive or you, you know all the flaws and this zero sum game the Russell concern with <coughs> which happened you know which and, you know I have a cousin in New York or he wasn't back in town but um, you know just saying well this other county. They this and that, and how about our county getting the money for the food bank or whatever the, the issue was? And I just thought, well, that's a zero sum game thinking. You know, come on now. <laughs> God is above 
you know, some of these numbers and, and these mm-hmm. limitations that it's our own natural way. Of, oh, I want, I want credit for my productivity. I don't want to pay all those taxes to support the border jumpers. This is the way this term I heard from <laughs> a relative who, you know, who experienced being unjustly called that at a soccer game. Oh, bad. Mm-hmm. But yeah, how to be inclusive and, and in a compromise, like you have a, a committee that wants to write policy to address student loans. You need policy, you need some politics, and you need to work, you know, all the compromise to mm-hmm. hear the other person. Mm-hmm. Your idea. Mm-hmm. Your idea. Somebody who gets consensus, somebody who mm-hmm. writes the policy. You know, yeah, you yeah, you know. So again, like everybody has their own little plot of creation. Yeah. If if you if you have interests and abilities, then you look and you see, and you're like, hey, you know, this. There are a lot of people who are suffering from really crushing student debt. What you know? What could I do about that? Uh, I met. Uh, Colleen mentioned this. A, a bunch of us. Nikki was there. Uh, Susan was there. Um, the Justice Network conference in Houston uh, and uh, organization the Free Methodist Church uh, talking about talking about all of this stuff and um, she didn't speak. But there's a woman there who's very interested in the housing problem. Um, Kathy Howell's daughter. Uh, she's like she's a genius. She's a sociology PhD. She's really interested in in the housing problem. She has, she's created the nonprofit that is trying to do things to make housing that's addressing assessment, home loans, more the mortgage market, right? She is somebody who's has a certain interest and expertise, and she's like, "Whoa, this is broken. Um, what can I do about it?" So that's one person. Thank God for Junia Howell, right? But then equally for all of. You know, all of us, we live in a neighborhood, we live in a community, we're interested in this. I, yeah, or, sorry, or like, are people who are volunteers at Senior Lunch? Like, 100%, 100%, yes. Who, who maybe they don't have an acumen for, for politics or for advocacy, but they show up and wash dishes for hours. Yes. And they like, hurt their backs. Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, yeah. to reach out to see yeah. yeah. So there's just lots of ways, yeah, where the spirit leads and moves and just love sitting down and ha- having conversations and making relationships. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. Some people, yeah, that's a gift. Right. Right. Some of us are like weird, self-tortured, introverted professors. <laughs> <laughs> just sitting down and having normal conversations. Is... I have an interesting thought. I, I think justice without being social justice can't exist. I mean, justice is about relationship with that in, that it has to include more than one person. Y- yeah. yeah, yeah. That's the way in yes. which justice is essentially social. Yes. So it. I mean, it's kind of impossible yeah. to have justice without a being yeah. interpersonal. Yeah. Yeah. So, but even if I guess. I don't care if we call it social justice or not. Yeah. I just don't Yeah, and I made a point, right? Yeah. I like I this is yeah. just justice. This right, is right. Just justice. But so maybe it's like then we call it interpersonal justice. Mm-hmm. I would just hate the idea of someone just justice. not seeking justice because someone else calls mm-hmm. them not I, or you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like then let's call it interpersonal yeah. justice or whatever, as long as people are participating in it and like seeking God in their mm-hmm. garden plot. Mm-hmm. Like 
Thank you for helping us define what it is. Oh, super glad to help. Thanks. Yeah, yeah let's give it a hand. Ed, would you be willing to say a blessing? Oh, oh, 100%. Of course. I'd be, I'd be honored to do that. Let's pray. Lord, we worship you for your holiness and for your power and for your majesty, for your awesome power and glory and perfection. And we praise you, Lord, that despite all of your majesty and power, it is not below you to dwell with a humble and broken people. And we thank you, Lord, that your heart is for the least, the lost, and the lonely. That you desire to redeem every corner of your creation and to make it whole again. To bring the world to rights, to bring true justice. And we thank you, Lord, that you call us to participate in this work. And so I pray, Lord, that you would make us here in this room, in this church here in Santa Barbara, you would make us a justice people. And you would help us to bring the gospel to a broken Santa Barbara community and beyond, Lord. I pray you would work in our hearts, in our mind. You would give us vision to see how we can be agents of your redemptive work. Give us courage, Lord. Give us wisdom. Break our hearts and give us love for our neighbor. Let nothing stand in the way, Lord, of being a justice people. We thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, y'all.